Good morning, I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors, and glad to be sharing this 4th of July weekend with you. Um, many people consider this one of three summer holidays, with one more to come on Labor Day, but in our home, we actually have four. We celebrate Christmas in July. Uh, that actually started in France. There was actually a movie in 1940 called Christmas in July, kind of an interesting take on that. But uh, our family thinks it's kind of fun. My, my wife is very creative. Bert is one of the most creative people I know. So it's kind of fun to have the kids over or the grandkids over, and they wake up in the morning and there's Christmas trees and there's lights and Christmas ornaments all over the place, and we're celebrating Christmas in July. Whether you want to do that or not, one of the things that as I think about um, uh, Christmas, one time we got a Christmas card from a family that uh, were neighbors of ours. And apparently they believe that all belief systems are equally valid because on this Christmas card, there was a, um, a statement from every one of the world religions. And the one that I remember the most is the Hindu one, and this is what it said. Like a person can climb up on a roof by the stairs, by a ladder or by a rope, so there are many ways to access God. What Jesus said contradicts that totally. Listen to these words from Jesus, and we're going to be in John 14, verse 6, if you want to turn to the fourth gospel, the 14th chapter, and the sixth verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is claiming to be the sole way of access to God, the sole provider of salvation, that there is no other way to God except through him. You recognize, don't you, that that just flies in the face of even our culture, that that's a, that's a statement that's going upstream in a downstream culture, in a culture where any kind of a claim to any absolute or uh, truth is contradicting that culture. But I want you to know that that's, that's nothing new. In the Old Testament, God's people were called to live out their faith in God in a culture that had a many different gods. So when, when uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were living among the Canaanites of that day, or when Moses goes down to Egypt and encounters the gods of the Egyptians and actually has a collision with them, every one of the plagues in the 10 plagues was a direct attack on one of the gods of Egypt. And ultimately showing that the God of the burning bush, the I am that I am, is the only true and living God. Later when God's people came into Canaan, they were surrounded by idolatry and false gods who were saying that these are the ways to God. And ultimately, God would demonstrate again and again that he alone is the true and living God. Um, Prophet Elijah actually has a battle with the god Baal on Mount Carmel. And in that particular event in 1 Kings 18, uh, he sets up this contest where Baal is supposed to be the true and living God. He's supposed to be the God who, who uh, establishes the rain. And yet, Elijah says, I'm going to pray that it doesn't rain for three years. So you see who is really God. And it doesn't rain for three years. Then he gathers together the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and they pray for God to send lightning to be able to consume the sacrifice. And God shows that he alone is the true and living God. The prophet Isaiah says this, 
I am the Lord, Jehovah, and besides me, there is no Savior. There is no Savior. So Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, comes, uh, falls in line with what we see consistent throughout the Old Testament. So the, the gods of Assyria were not God. The gods of Babylon were not worshipped by Daniel and his friends. So there, there is one true God, and there is one Savior to God. And Jesus' claim is falling in line with that. It's a radical truth now, but it's a radical truth then. In the New Testament, we need to understand that as the gospel is being proclaimed, as Jesus came, it is a, he's running headlong into the gods of the, the, the Greek mythology, the gods of the Roman Empire, and Christians saying that there is only one true God was a contradiction to their culture of that day. So friends, you need to understand that the people who believe in the God of the Bible have always been going upstream against the downstream culture. And when you say that you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you need to understand how radical a claim that really is. After Jesus died and rose again, the, the disciples of Jesus are actually brought before the Sanhedrin, the most powerful ruling body of the Jews. And they threaten them with their life and say, if you speak anymore in the name of Jesus, we're going to kill you. And their response was to say that they could not stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we read this, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So when you look at this verse, this claim of Jesus, one of these I am statements in John's gospel, he is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. That first part of it when he says I am is actually going back to the burning bush. He's saying, I am the I am that I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's making a truth claim about being God, but he does more than that. He says, not only am I the I am that I am, but I'm the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Friends, understand this. If Jesus had said, I am a way and a truth and a life, it would be a very different statement. He'd be saying, I am one option among many. But when he says, I am the way, that is an exclusive statement. When he says, I am the truth, he's saying there's no other option except lies. When he claims to be the life, he's saying every other way, every other false truth is a dead-end street. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This radical statement by Jesus is very, very significant. He's saying, I'm the only way to God. He's making an exclusive claim to be the only savior from sin. So let's unpack this a little bit. What does it mean for Jesus to say, I am the way? Uh, the, the word way literally means a path or a road. It's a, a way from getting from one point to another. Jesus is, is calling himself that path. And throughout the Old Testament, God also referred to wisdom as the path or the way to God. And Jesus is making that claim. You know, in the United States, some of the roads that we now travel, you can get on a, a major highway in New York City and drive all the way to San Francisco and never get off a super highway today. It wasn't always that way. You know, it used to be just Indian trails. 
And then the explorers would, would follow them, and after a while they would ride horses on some of those trails, usually following a river valley. And, and then after a while they would have wagon trains that would travel out west, and they would wear those roads. And, and some of those roads, then when automobiles started to actually travel on them, or muddy roads, they then paved those roads. And now we have ways of getting from one place to the other. Jesus is saying, I am the way. A couple weeks ago, we went to visit my wife's brother in Virginia, and I'm asking him about the best route to get there. And there's a lot of different ways to get from here to southern Virginia, where he lives, near just a little uh, north of Richmond. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can take, all kinds of roads you can take. One of those roads is Route 250 that starts in Richmond, Virginia. It starts there in the center of the city and goes all the way to Sandusky, Ohio. And, and you can take that way, but I don't recommend it unless you really, really want the scenic route. Because it goes through West Virginia. And I have a friend that grew up in West Virginia. He said, if you took an iron to West Virginia, you'd create something the size of Texas. I mean, it took like eight hours to get through that part of West Virginia. There's many different ways to get to Virginia, friends, but there's only one way to get to God. And that's through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. The early... Christians were called followers of the way before they were called Christians, Acts chapter 9, verse 2. And Jesus actually makes the claim that he is unique and only way of access to God. At the end of John chapter 1, Jesus is having a conversation with a man called Nathaniel who was a skeptic. And in that conversation, he convinces Nathaniel very quickly that he is God, and Nathaniel confesses his faith in Jesus as God. And Jesus said... You so quickly believe in me, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And he's referring back to the story of Jacob's ladder. Jacob having that dream and seeing the the, the stair steps or the ladder going from earth to heaven and, and showing that way. Jesus is saying, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the way of access to God. I am the way, and there's no other way. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, this profound statement. He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that go in thereat. But but broad is the gate, wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in that. So Jesus' claim of being the way is an exclusive claim to say that there is no other way to God. No other way to God. Jesus also says, I'm the truth. Uh, That that idea of truth is, truth is, is reality, and reality for the believer in Jesus Christ is revealed by God. Ultimate reality is revealed by God in creation, revealed by God in Scripture, and revealed by God in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am the ultimate reality. And so, friends, I want to say this to you. Sincerity doesn't measure truth. Many people are very sincere in believing that they have found the way to God, but sincerity is no measurement of truth. I I would suggest to you that if you needed a doctor because you needed surgery or cancer, I want a doctor that believes in absolute truth when it comes to medicine. I want him to be able to understand that. In the same way, spiritually, truth is revealed by God. God didn't leave us in the dark. He revealed himself to us in the beautiful creation we see around us. In the 66 books of the Bible, and ultimately in the person of Jesus who says, I am the truth. 
the beginning of John's gospel, Jesus makes this claim. He's, he is declared to be the one who is the Word made flesh. The Word made flesh who literally pitched his tent among us, tabernacled among us, and put on display the glory of God and revealed to us God's grace and truth. Later, Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, you're really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will liberate you, set you free. We're celebrating July 4th weekend. We're celebrating the independence that we enjoy. But friends, the greatest independence for a soul is by dependence on God who has spoken to us and revealed himself to us. And Jesus said, I'm the truth. I am the ultimate reality of life. At his trial, Jesus stood before Pilate, the king of uh, ruling over, the governor ruling over that part of Israel. And Jesus spoke about truth, and Pilate asked this question, what is truth? It's like the shout of our culture right now saying, who can claim truth? Who, Who has truth? What is true? And Pilate didn't realize that the one who is the truth is standing right in front of him. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. Tim Keller said, Jesus didn't come to tell us the answers to the question of life. He came to be the answer to the questions of life. He is the answer. He is the truth. And Jesus is the life. He is the vitality of our existence from God. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is revealed to being as the one who's a provider of life. In John 1, verses 3 to 4, he's revealed to be the creator Friends, you were created by Jesus in his image. He's the the author of your physical life. He's also the author of eternal life as your Savior. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Jesus is the provider of eternal life. He's also the provider of resurrection life. John eleven twenty five. he stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and called for Lazarus to come forth, and he was risen from the dead. But Jesus is the provider of abundant life. Pastor Luke shared with us last week about Jesus being a shepherd and making this claim in John 10, 10. I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, having life to the max, having life to the full. Friends, the best life of all is the life of knowing and following Jesus. Because he is not just the provider of life, he is life itself. So Jesus is making this incredible claim to be God. I am that I am, and as the I am, I am the exclusive way to God, the exclusive way of salvation. I'm the way, the road, the path. I am the truth, the ultimate reality from God. I am the life. You know, the the amazing thing about this in the gospel, Jesus making this claim is in the one hand very exclusive and saying, you can only come to God through me, but the gospel is also very inclusive in this way. The Bible says God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. And so this, this message of grace and mercy and love through Jesus Christ is extended to all mankind. At the one hand, it's exclusive only in Christ, but it's inclusive that there's a provision for all who would repent and believe upon him. So Jesus is my direction. He's the way. Jesus is my reality. He's the truth. Jesus is my vitality. He's my life. Thomas A. A. Kempis, in his classic 
uh, Christian book, The Imitation of Christ, said this, follow me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way that you must follow, the truth that you must believe, the life for which you must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the unending life. I am the way that is straight, the supreme truth, the life that is true, the blessed and uncreated life. Please hear this. Jesus Christ makes this claim that not only is he the true and living God, but he's the exclusive way to salvation. And there is no other way and no other truth and no other life that can lead to God. There's no other way. What's the context in which Jesus says this? If you go back to John chapter 13 and begin at about verse 36, Jesus has told his disciples that he was going to um, go away. And in John 13, verse um, 36, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where are you going? You cannot follow me now, but you'll follow me afterwards. And Peter, with I'm sure great grief and sorrow, said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you that the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. So this dialogue with his disciples begins with Peter asking a couple questions and Jesus answering it. And in that context, Jesus, who knew that he was going to suffer and die, is more concerned about his disciples than about himself. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. He's speaking of heaven. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. He's speaking as the bridegroom to his followers, as if they are this, this coming bride of Christ, the church. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas asked this question. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? I'm so glad Thomas asked that question because that's what the response that Jesus gives when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he said, you've known me. You would have known my Father and from now on, you do know him and you've seen him. And Philip then raises this question. Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus, I'm sure with sadness, said, have I been so long with you and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am the revelation of truth from the, about the Father. How can you claim, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? So Jesus in this statement is in the upper room of his disciples. You think about the context in which he makes this claim. He's gathered with the disciples in the upper room. Only John gives us this narrative, starting with the washing of the disciples' feet and ending with his high priestly prayer. And in the midst of this, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples, and he washed their feet. And in that context, he then takes the Passover and takes the cup and the bread and institutes the Lord's table, pointing towards his death and what he would do on the cross to become that way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, uh, after that, begins to talk to his disciples about, about his departure and, and then teaches them great truths. If you've not read John 14 to 16 recently, great truths about the Holy Spirit, about prayer, about the life of faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus gives this teaching to his disciples, and it's in that context that he talks to them about heaven 
and he talks about who he is. They're filled with grief and confusion about his departure. And they dialogue with Jesus. They're asking these questions. Uh, Note in verse 1 that Jesus says to them, you believe in God, believe also in me. That, That is a claim of equality with the Father. It's a claim of deity that Jesus is God. He then promised his return and promised them heaven. Friends, I don't know what you think about heaven. If you think about heaven being that you're going to float on a cloud playing a harp with wings and a halo, you got it all wrong. It's the stuff of cartoons, not the stuff of the Bible. You want to know what heaven's like? Read the book of Revelation and you see the glory and the splendor of what it's like to be in the presence of the God who created everything. And if you think this earth is beautiful in its fallenness, think about what heaven's going to be like. Jesus talked about heaven, but he said, I'm the way to heaven. And so you have Thomas's question, you have the request by Philip, and think about this. Jesus leaves the upper room, and he goes across the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane, the, the place of an olive press. And there he is pressed in his sorrow and his grief, and he prays and he yields to the Father, and he, he sweats great drops of blood there on his knees. He said, Father, not my will but thine be done. He knew the suffering that was coming wasn't simply the physical suffering of crucifixion, but it was the suffering of him being oppressed by the wrath of God against our sin as he was going to become the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. Friends, if you think that the cross was primarily about physical suffering, you don't understand. The cross was Jesus becoming the Lamb of God for us as the way, the truth, and the life. And so he, he went out there and he yielded to the Father and, and then his, his, the torture that he faced at the hands of men and ultimately his crucifixion as he's nailed between heaven and earth and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is my sin because there was no other way and no other truth and no other life besides Jesus. And he rose from the dead to prove that he was who he claimed to be. Why is it important, friends? Why is this this important that you and I believe that Jesus is the only Savior and the only way? Does it really matter? And I want to say to you, yes, yes. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, the only go-between. 1 Timothy 2.5 said, there's one God and one mediator between men and God, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. A mediator is the one who bridges the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, bridges the righteousness of God and the brokenness of man. Bridges the wrath of God against sin and the the mercy that we needed. Jesus is that mediator. He is both God, fully divine, and man, fully human. And he becomes this mediator. Jesus alone is sinless. Jesus alone is the Lamb of God. Even in the Old Testament, a sacrifice had to be perfect and and without blemish. And Jesus is the one without sin. And so he alone could provide that sacrifice for sins. Uh, Ponder this for a moment, would you please? 
If there was any other way for you and I to be reconciled to God, if Jesus was just a way among others, then why did the Son of God have to come to earth and become a man? And why did he have to die in the agony on the cross? Do you recognize that if we treat Jesus as only one option among many ways to get to God, that it basically disgraces the gospel and disgraces the cross? But when we embrace that Jesus alone is the way to God, that he alone is the truth and is the life, that there was no other way than, friends, the cross and the gospel is, is meaningful for us. The resurrection of Jesus proves that he was the only way. Do you realize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was God demonstrating that he was who he claimed to be and did what he came to do? Romans chapter 1 said he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said the gospel is not only that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, but he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to God but by him. Friends, to, to, to embrace a theology that says Jesus is one of many ways to God flies in the face of the early church. Do you realize that Christians were not fed to the lions and burned at the stake and crucified in the first three centuries of the church? simply because they believed that Jesus was God and the triune God and they believed that Jesus was a Savior? No. It was because they refused that there was any other God but the triune God and any other Savior and any other Lord besides that. It was for that they were fed to the lions. It was for that they were crucified. The martyrs of the early church became martyrs because they were clear on this doctrine. There is no other way. The gospel of message is that Jesus alone is the way of access to God. He is not one way among many. He is not one truth among many truths. He is not one life among many. He alone is the mediator. He alone is the Savior, and there is no other way to God but Him. So what difference should this make in my life? I've been pondering that all week long. How should this affect the way I live, the way you live? Uh, four things I'd like to just have you think about as we tie this together. Friend, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey right now, but I would say to you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ alone for his provision of salvation, then I would invite you to him. Because while his claim is exclusive, it is also inclusive in the provision that he made through the cross for all who would repent and believe upon him. And that's good news. That is really, really, really good news. But I, I must say this. Faith in Jesus Christ is not trusting him plus your baptism. It's not hooking the gospel onto your church membership. It's not connecting Jesus plus your legacy of your family. It's not Jesus plus you in some way being able to try to keep the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule in your own strength. It's not Jesus plus your good works. My, 
My father-in-law is a woodworker, and he is a craftsman. I work with wood, but I'm no craftsman. When he makes something, it's made to perfection. He uh, took some, some uh, pieces of a, of a tree that was just with live edge all over it before live edge stuff was cool, and he made this thing, and he, he sanded it down, and he, he uh, put a coating upon coating on it, and it is absolutely perfect. And I know that it is in our will that someday we're going to have that in our house. Imagine this. Suppose that I took my sander and I went to where he lives in, in uh, New York State and I plugged it in. I'm going to take my, my belt sander and p- take it on that. He would be, first of all, very upset with me and he would stop me. I said, Jim, what are you doing? I, I'm, I'm trying to finish your table. He said, Jim, it is finished. You can't add anything to it. It is finished, my friends. You can add nothing to it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And if you're trusting in Jesus plus your attempts, then you are not understanding grace and mercy and love in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, you can't add anything to it. All you can do is receive it as a a gift. And I would invite you to do that. Secondly, for every one of you that claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I ask you, I implore you, stand on this truth without compromise. Stand on this truth with your life, if necessary, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the exclusive way to God, and there is no other. Stand on this truth And if you are unwilling to stand on this truth, then please be honest enough to say that you're not a follower of Christ. Stand on this truth with conviction. If you compromise on this truth, then you have compromised the essence of the gospel, no matter what the culture says. Stand on this truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And then I invite you to commit to follow Jesus as the way. See, Jesus being the way means not only that he's the way by which you can be declared righteous before God, but he's the way to live. And I would invite you to the adventure of following Jesus as the way. See, trusting in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life isn't just where you start the Christian life, it's how you live the Christian life. Because he's the way for you every day. The wisdom that you need, the grace that you need, the direction that you need, the power that you need, the love that you need, all comes and flows from Jesus Christ, who is the way. And he is the truth. He is a truth that guides you and leads you as you follow him. And he is the life who infuses his life into you as you abide in him. Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life isn't just changing the destiny of your life to heaven, but it brings heaven to your heart and to your life now. Please, friends, don't claim that the gospel you believe in takes you to heaven if it doesn't change you now. That's why we're all about multiplying, transformed followers of Jesus here. If the gospel doesn't change you here, then have you really embraced Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life? And finally, all of us in this room who are followers of Jesus have people on your street where you work, where you 
engage with people at any level, relatives, who have not yet encountered Jesus Christ and all of his saving grace. Uh, that means they desperately need to know this way that is, on the one hand, exclusive, it's inclusive, and that Jesus provided for them in his death on the cross, and they need to be invited. So I want to invite you to pray for them, to intentionally build relationships with them, find common ground with them and wherever you can, spend time with them, and share with them your story so you can share his story. Every one of us have people around us who desperately need to hear this message. And friends, if we believe that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life, then why in the world would we keep the best news that the world has ever heard from people we claim as friends? Why would we not do all we could to lovingly, graciously, patiently introduce them to the one who changed our lives? You see, friends, Christ's exclusive claim to be Savior means that he has the exclusive claim to my life and to your life. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. Let's pray together. God, thank you as we come to you in prayer that we come with the confidence that we come in the name of Jesus, provided the new and living way through his cross and through his resurrection. We come confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the I am that I am. We come confessing that, that he alone is the way of access to salvation and to God, that he alone is the the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth of all of life. That he is the life, not only as creator, as savior and redeemer, as the resurrection and the life, but also as a shepherd who provides abundant life. You are the life, Lord. And we confess our faith in you. Oh God, in a world that is so hurting and broken and confused, where people do not know which way to turn and where to go, where there's such hopelessness and despair. May we so live. May we so love others that we can share with them the one who alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. In whose name we pray.